We're back, the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment, and I am excited to welcome to this show. We all know him from The Nanny, Murphy Brown, Charles Shaughnessy. Charles, thanks for calling, or should I say, uh, I was doing some research on you, Lord Shaughnessy. How are Lord you? Shaughnessy. Yeah, yeah, right. Good morning, Neil. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that happened about 10 years ago. My great-grandfather was uh, the Canadian Pacific Railroad president in Canada, and for services to the Crown during the First World War, he was given a baronetcy and became the first Lord Shaughnessy of Montreal and Ashford County Limerick. And then it sort of went through all the Canadian Shaughnessys and then uh, ran out of male heirs and bounced down to to the British Shaughnessys, and I was it. I was <laughs> tag your it. I became Lord Shaughnessy. Oh, wow. So has uh, that changed your life in any way, by the way, Charles? No. I, it, all I have is a very moldy robe up in the attic. And, 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 and when there is a coronation, my wife and I will be summoned by the crown to, to come and watch the coronation with all the other peers of the realm. So that's the only thing that uh, changed. There was no family fortune. There were no castles. No band of loyal retinue that <laughs> would kind of move in and defend me against all all trouble. But um, but it was you know it's a thrill to be part of that name. I mean I'm very proud of my great grandpa. He came as a uh, an Irish immigrant, penniless Irish immigrant, escaping the potato famine, and and worked um, worked in the railroads in Milwaukee and worked his way up to uh, to the CPR. How about that? That's a great story, and I was watching the television interview you had, I think, in Australia that uh, yeah. talked. To, it was a really good interview to kind of give me some background on you more than just understanding the nanny. Now, let's kind of go right. into Charles. Did you always want to be an actor? You have a great voice, so was that the thing that you said, hey, I got to go out and act because You of- know, it's a funny story. I, I loved reading out loud in school when I was, you know, five or six, you know, reading out loud, learning to read. <clears throat> and the teacher would say, you know, who wants to read out loud? And everyone would dive under their desks, except me. I would jump out of my hat in the air. <laughs> and the teacher would say, all right, Shaughnessy, off you go. Is there anyone other than Shaughnessy wants to read? So I just loved it. I loved reading characters and and making the class laugh and, and, and sort of listen to every word I was saying. And so when we got to do a school play, I thought I was going to be the star. I thought I'd be Peter Rabbit and Peter Rabbit and Farmer McGregor. And my best friend, Peter Robinson, was cast as a star, was Peter Rabbit. And I was just a third bluebird from the left. <laughs> and I felt so devastated. I had two emotions. One was devastation that I wasn't going to be the main character. And then the second, almost immediately, was a sense of surprise that this meant so much to me. I was like, I had a sort of meta moment. I was upset, and then I was really intrigued by how upset I was and thought, wow, I must really want to do this. This must be something significant. So I sort of worked as an actor at school. I, I acted all the time, but I didn't become a professional till much later. I, I thought by the end of my academic career, I would um, go to college and, and study law and tried to do something sensible with my life. Uh, but it didn't work out, and I, I ended up, um, you know, uh, following my passion after all and, and became an actor. 
So very interesting. So did you stay where you grew up, or did you decide just to move right to L.A. when uh, it didn't work out? No, I uh, <clears throat> I never thought I'd live anywhere other than England. I trained at an English drama school, a central school of speech and drama in London. Um, but in my second year, um, Central would always have three Americans come each year to study from abroad. And one of these Americans was a very exotic ballet dancer from Calif- Studio City, California, and um, I was very uh, surprised and excited when she agreed to go out on a date with me. And we kind of started dating. And then I finished and went to work in England. She finished and came back to work in America. Uh, but after a while of, of a long distance relationship, we just decided, you know, I, I said, I really want to be with this woman. So I called up and proposed and she said yes. And so the next minute I was on a plane with all my worldly possessions and moved out to California to get married. And we've been living in California. We've got two gorgeous grown up daughters oh, now. Wow. We've just celebrated our 35th um, wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, the rest was history. Well, congratulations, and that's a great story. So you guys moved to L.A. and get married, and you kept this relationship. There's not many Hollywood marriages that last that long, are there, Charles? No, not at all. It's, um, we're, we're, we're one of the survivors. <laughs> all right, so let's kind of go talk about, so from once you got to L.A., how long was it till you got the part in Murphy Brown? How many years in L.A. until that? Well, happened? Murphy Brown came out of the blue. I, I, for the first thing that happened was I got on Days of Our Lives. I, I got on a soap opera. Well, first, I got on General Hospital for a week. That was great. I'd been doing a lot of theater, okay. and um, through the theater work, I got an agent. And through the agent, I got a week on General Hospital. And from General Hospital, I got on to Days of Our Lives as what was meant to be just a, a short three-day stint. Um, but it turned into eight years on the soap opera. And so after eight years, I've decided I had to leave that because otherwise I'd be there the rest of my life. <clears throat> Not that I didn't love it. It was a great job, but it was time to move on. So then I had a period of sort of just trying to find work and, and starting all over again. And it was at that point that I got this episode of Murphy Brown. Um, and as, of, as a result of that Murphy Brown, the head of the network, um, when they were casting the nanny, when the nanny was being developed a year later, as a pilot, the head of the network, which was the network that also did Murphy Brown, CBS, um, said the guy that was in Murphy Brown, he's he's the guy <laughs> that should be Maxwell Sheffield. <clears throat> and he was, uh, I didn't know this till afterwards, he kind of championed me as that character. And uh, in the end, that's what happened. Um, you know, he got his way and, and I was Maxwell. And that's a that's an amazing story because as when you first auditioned for the nanny, you probably didn't think it was going to be that successful. That it would be all over the world. And I remember watching the nanny when I was a pro wrestler in Germany and also right. Canada and French Canadian territory, re- hearing it in French and then hearing it right. in German. So this is such an international show. For sure. It is. I believe it's the the biggest international seller that Sony had because it it's a it's a universal theme. <clears throat> Every culture from China to Germany to South America, they all have the story of the cheeky servant who's smarter than the master 
and who is secretly in love with the boss. That's those those kind of those archetypal stories are in every single culture. The cheeky servant, who's you know, for sure, yeah. And and uh, who's sort of smarter than the boss? It's from Moliere onwards, and the idea of a of a uh, a, a woman coming to the door, very inappropriately matched with the guy who answers the door. It's the sound of music, you know. It's like when Maria comes to the Von Trapp family, and that story plays in every culture. So it was really smart. They didn't make it terribly, con- you know, um, specific. It was not age relevant it didn't have too many um um references contemporary references so you could put it in any different country any different time and it was going to work forever i i think the nanny will be playing in reruns for the rest of time more than any other show i don't know if it's a reboot show if you could remake it i'm right. not sure how that would work maybe um but as a rerun show I don't see there any reason for it to ever stop because it works for everyone. You could be, a, a, you know, living in an igloo in, in Iceland and the nanny would be relevant. You would know someone like that. See, I love hearing you said the reboot, but I don't know. That would be interesting. That would be interesting as... Uh, yeah, I mean, I would be, you know, it'd be fascinating. It'd be great to get together again and, and, and uh, you know, work together as a group again. And, and maybe someone's got a good idea for it. Um, it would have to be a different sort of uh, story. I mean, it would have to work a little differently. But, um, you know, sign me up if, if someone can come up with a good idea and someone wants to buy it. Why not? Just say Netflix, Charles. That's the one. One of those streaming Netflix. services. Yes, exactly. Well, there's so many now. There's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's Amazon, there's, uh, there's uh, now YouTube have a Prime channel, which is a subscription channel. I did a show on, on YouTube Prime recently called Foursome, which is very successful. Um, and so who knew YouTube would, would become a kind of Netflix rival? Absolutely, Charles. And was it hard? Were you typecast after the nanny ended at all? Yeah, I mean, I knew going in that was going to happen. I remember saying to my agent when we started the nanny, I said, this better run for a long time because I'm never going to work again after this. Because once you're a sitcom dad, it's really hard to get out from that. So it did take uh, a long time. I kind of really had to grow... um, physically sort of just get older uh, so that people could forget that guy they saw on the screen in the reruns. Um, and so now that I'm the age I am and you can look at the nanny and look at me standing alongside it and not think they're the same person. So now I'm beginning to, to sort of work as a, as a, a, in my own right. And even though people go, you know, Oh, you were Maxwell Sheffield. There isn't the immediate, um, there is an immediate connection. And then you went back to theater and that's where we are today talking about love letters. And I know you're going to introduce someone that also is going to be on the show today. And Charles, I just think it's just tremendous that you go back to theater, something that you really are passionate about. I've always loved theater and it sort of came and helped when at a time when uh, things were like a bit rocky career wise and there wasn't a lot going on. Um, I refound the theater and the theater refound me. And it's something that I've always loved. I love working with an audience. It's what I was trained for. Um, and you get that immediate feedback from audiences, a kind of conspiracy at that time where they, they suspend disbelief that they're not in a, 
you know, 19th century farmhouse. Um, <clears throat> and, and you can, they allow you to tell this story and they allow themselves to go into their imagination and, and believe that you are someone else. Uh, I just find the whole experience kind of magical. And yes, Love Letters is a magical piece. It's a fantastic piece um, of theater. It's really quite brilliant. And as you say, Susie, um, I'm gonna. I'm doing it with with the lady that I met all those years ago, thirty five years ago at Central. Uh, Hi. Hi, how are you? My wife Susan, and Hello. we're going to be doing this together. Oh, yes. Wow. Oh wow! Now tell us how you met, real quick, before we get to love letters. Go she, ahead, was, she was she was uh, she was practicing her dancing in one of the rehearsal studios at drama school, and I was peeking through the glass window in the door and. I summoned up the courage to say, <clears throat> do you want to go get a drink after class? And she uh, eventually said yes. <laughs> I actually was, uh, I saw him in a performance of a Shakespeare play, and I, I thought, hmm, I like him. <laughs> so I had my eye on him <laughs> from then on. But um, that's and how it been, all started. It, that's how it all started. And, you know, we were two actors in L.A. and both working in Equity Waiver Theater and doing odd jobs in our spare time. Yeah. Um, but we really never worked together. This is, I mean, we've done a couple of little things together. We did, were in a play together a couple of years ago, and we did have a scene, but it wasn't really working together as a couple. Um, but this is the first opportunity we've had to really um, work with each other on a, on a two-person play. So um, we're both really excited about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's get yeah. to, let's talk about Love Letters now. Tell us about that. Well, it's by A.R. Gurney, and it's a series of the conceit is that these two people, a man and a woman, have known each other all their lives since they were children, and they corresponded with each other through letters. They, they uh, didn't like talking on the telephone. They would meet in person, but they established right from the start when they were kids uh, a letter-writing habit, and they would write to each other letters. And so the play follows their lives and follows their relationship through these letters to each other, which they read. Um, so each, each actor reads that character's letters to the other. Um, and it's just so beautifully constructed, so beautifully built by the, the author. Um, you really feel kind of the audience is brought along on this mm -hmm. very sad, very funny, yes. <clears throat> very moving, moving very um, um, empowering and, and love the, story. And the letters aren't we're not we're not speaking the letters to one another. We're really speaking it out to the audience as if they are uh, uh, viewing us writing the letter uh, as we speak the words. So it's only at the end that we, there is any kind of uh, connection between the two actors. Um, it's been phenomenally piece. successful. It's <clears> been, <throat> you know, it's one of those plays that you can take anywhere and from its beginnings on Broadway and in London, it's been in every capital in the world, every city in the world, played by different couples. You, mm -hmm. A lot of married actors um, have played it mm -hmm. and some that are not married, they've just done pairings. Um, it's it's uh, it's just a, a beautiful evening and perfectly suited 
to this event for the Robert F. Kennedy Children's Action Corps. It's a, it's perfect for that space. The North Shore Music Theatre is the most beautiful space, lovely theatre, and Bill Hanny has been kind enough to wow. um, mm-hmm. offer it to us for the evening. Um, he's a great supporter of the cause. Um, so we're looking forward to a fantastic, a yeah. fantastic evening on the seventh. So, how did you guys get connected with that, Susan? How did you guys get connected with this charity? Well, that was really me. I, mm-hmm. a friend of mine, who worked at the uh, at the uh, RFC um, Children's Action Corps, he had been on Days of Our Lives as a um, a recurring barman at one of the bars, and he got in touch with me one day and said, "I'm doing this thing for children at risk in Massachusetts. Would you come and do something with the kids?" And I came out and did a a class and had such an extraordinary experience <clears throat> meeting these incredible kids and these wonderful people that run the um, organization and learned about how it began as a legacy to Robert F. Kennedy after his assassination. And they do incredible work. They intervene in the lives of uh, children and young adults who are sort of on the, on the verge of falling into incarceration and the, and the legal, the penal system. Mm-hmm. And they try to take them out of harm's way. <clears throat> Most of them come from very broken homes, very dysfunctional families, maybe abuse, a lot of drug use around them. And uh, so they come in and they take them out of that threatened situation and put them into a residential program where they can be educated and and nurtured and and sort of helped um, to avoid those things uh, and become sort of, you know, meaningful and, and contributive members of society rather than just being thrown into some... Um, juvenile detention center. Yeah. That's fantastic. And how did you guys... Yeah. And the change is extraordinary with yeah. these kids. Oh, it is, I'm sure. And Susan, did you enjoy this, uh, the auditioning process coming to September 7th, especially because you're going to be, you guys are in LA, right? To get to Boston, yes. so for it's in Boston. So how long is this audition process, not auditioning, but I mean, pr- preparing for the for The, the, the preparing, the yeah. preparation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, we've we've read it together several times, and we've, you know, worked out, um, uh, you know, how we want it to look, um, and it's just been actually just reading it over and over together, and um, and that's really been the preparation. Um, he's my director, so <laughs> I'm taking whatever uh, direction he wants to give me. The great um, thing with this and is, and the playwright's very specific in yes, the in the actual specific. play. He's he insists on, you know, um, no kind of frills. He doesn't want there to be any direction in, as such. He doesn't want the actors to be, you know, overplaying anything. Yes, no exaggeration. Um, he says, just sit and read them and the words mm-hmm. will do it. So we've really not had to do very much um, other than just get familiar with it and feel comfortable with it mm-hmm. um, and then let it sort of unfold on the night. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, now, Susan, yeah. uh, your acting career after you met uh, Charles, did you? What other performances did you do? Mostly theater in your career. In I acting? did mostly theater in Los Angeles, um, and I did do uh, a, a few uh, low budget movies and one one not low budget movie. And then I um, 
I also was uh, doing like voiceover, uh, looping groups, um, things like that. But and mostly a, theater. And she has a um, some TV. She has a card, uh, a uh, one of those collector's cards for. She played a, a resistance leader in Star <laughs> Trek: Next Generation. Yeah. So she actually has a a convention. Yes. You know, one of those um, collectible cards. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get fan mail for that, <laughs> which is funny. Um, but that's, that's been, that was sort of what I did out here, you know, a sort of jobbing actress. Um, and then when I had children, you know, um, I was lucky to be able to spend time with my children, which is what was very important for me. And, um, I was lucky enough because Charlie was on the nanny at that time. So, um, you know, I could be with them and, and raise them, which was really very, very important to me. Well, that's fantastic. And Charles, yeah. best, again, everyone can find out more information on September 7th. Uh, love letters. Where can they go for that information, Charles? They can go to N for nuts, S for sugar, M for mother, T for T for Tommy. So NSMT.org. And that is the North Shore Music Theater.org. And then click on events, current, I think it's shows and events or something. And uh, you'll see a, a page for love letters. And it's Friday, September the 7th at 8 o'clock. We have a uh, question, a Q&A afterwards. And then um, for, uh, I think, an extra donation, you can then have a, we have a meet and greet in the lobby where you can actually come meet Susan and me and chat about the show and get some pictures taken. Um, so it'll be a great evening, and it's all going to this terrific cause. You'll also learn a bit more about the Robert F. Kennedy Children's Action Corps and the great work that they do. And it's all being hosted by local news uh, uh, personality and, and newscaster Susan Warnick um, that everyone in Massachusetts knows and holds near and dear. She, she for many years, was a regular... Um, uh, a regular appearance on the TV screens in the in the local news arena. Well, that's great. And so, Charles, best place people can connect with you, social media wise and stuff, because you talked about you had it at your latest project you mentioned. But best place we can find info on you to kind of connect and see what's going on with your latest project. Well, I got a I've got a, a, a Facebook page and I've got a Twitter page. C underscore Shaughnessy is my Twitter handle. An Instagram Charles Shaughnessy. Um, Facebook, you just go to Charles Shanti, look it up, and you'll see there's a page there that you can join and uh, follow me. Um, that's uh, That'll give you all the information that you could possibly need. Well, guys, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Best of luck on the 7th, and I really enjoyed the uh, conversation and story of how you guys met and Charles's career. <laughs> great. All right, take care. All right, Neil. Thank it was, a, it so was great talking to you, Neil. Right. And, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Take care, guys. Good luck with everything. All right, thanks. Okay, okay. see ya. Thanks. Bye All right. Okay, bye-bye. You listen to Neil bye. Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment.